You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, if it's prophecy. <laughs> well, this morning, <clears throat> this morning for Sunday School, oh, uh, we're going to have Mr. Brother Kurt Lilly teach and, and help us for Sunday School. All of the children and teenagers, you are dismissed for your classes. And uh, I'm excited to have, you want some more candy? Excited to have Mr. Lilly teach us and, and uh, listen closely. All done. What is that? All done? Good morning. All right, um, so today's lesson is God's real purpose for the church. Um, pastor asked me last week if I'd teach this week, so I told him I'd try. Uh, so I, I'm still in track mode, so I put everything on my clipboard instead of a folder. So hopefully I can work this out and get it organized. All right, so... Today's lesson's real purple or a real purpose. Uh, let's see if I can figure this thing out. Yeah, I need it. Next slide, yes. Uh, so we're going to talk about the church, purpose of the church, um, and go ahead and go there. Okay, there we go. Um, the purpose of the church is to provide protection from the elements. Uh, we can come in when it's raining or too hot. It provides comfort. Uh, stuff for this morning, it's a little warm. Hey, Brother Kurt, yeah. uh, you remember that two weeks ago, uh, when Pastor started the series, he said the church is, in the Bible, it's talking about uh, people. It's talking about people, but not a building. Uh, if it's not the building, what is the church? Well, it, it's, not what it's, it's not what it is. It's, it's a who. A who? A who? So who is the church? Well... I am. You're the church? Who else is the church? Anybody in here? Y'all, y'all think y'all the church? Oh, so y'all the church. Oh. Hmm. Well, now, if y'all are the church, then everything that I learned during this lesson makes a lot more sense. Um, I'm just, I mean, um, y'all sure you want me to go through this then? Because it's going to get real. All right, so the real purpose of the church... Um, we go to the next slide. See if I can do that. Okay, your real purpose. You notice it says your real purpose because you just identified yourself as the church. Amen. So this is talking to you and me. Um, so the real purpose of the church. We see in Acts 2, 41 uh, 40, uh, through 41 and 46 through 47. Uh, then they that gladly... Uh, Revealed his word, were baptized. I think I'm trying to read that from there because I didn't write it in here. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, 42. And they continued steadfastly in the purpose. In the, okay. mind, if y'all, mind if I read it? Fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. 
Okay, so there we talked about the church and, and what they do. Um, that the church is the people, and we see some of the purpose is praising God. In this lesson, we will discover the biblical purpose for the church, and we will see how the first church at Jerusalem thrived through living out this purpose. Still not giving me the next slide. Oh, that's the pointer. That's nice. Um, Verses 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread to bread. I got to go over here. So we can see what the church's purpose is. We are to love God, we're to commune together, and we are to get people added to the church. Now there's methods to that, and we're going to talk about them. So, all right. We exist to love God, and we gather together to express our love to God in both the Old and the New Testaments. The Lord commands us to love God above all else. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then, in the New Testament, we see what Mark has to say in Mark 12 verse 30, and it says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy mind and with all the strength that and with all thy strength give to the Lord. Continue. This is the commandment. Okay. Oh, this is the first commandment, right. So it goes back to Exodus where this is the first commandment. So we can see that in Deuteronomy and in Mark. We are commanded to love God. And as the church, that's our number one purpose, is to love God. Uh, Growing in a heart relationship with God is the foundation of our walk with God. People may go through the motions of serving God for a variety of motives, but only true love for God will sustain us for lifelong growth in our relationship with him. Loving God begins at salvation. So it's a we have to be saved first. In Acts 2:41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about three thousand souls. So in Acts 2:41, we see that they gladly received the Lord. So Peter stood and preached a simple message about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And that's actually the message that speaks the loudest because that's the message that is the truth. Jesus' death, he was, he was killed on the cross, stayed in the grave for three days, uh, buried there, and then he rose again, victorious over death. That's what you need to know. As a church, you accept that. You make that commitment with Christ. Say, Jesus, I know you died because I wasn't good enough. The Bible says, for all his sin comes short of the glory of God. 
I'm not good enough. All my righteousness is as filthy rags. I can't do anything. So God sent Jesus. He had a plan in the very beginning. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And then he was killed on the cross. His blood was shed for the remission of our sin. And then after death and after burial, he was resurrected again on the third day. So he showed that he had victory over death. He's the first fruits of the grave. And that simple, plain act is what we need to accept for us. Say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me because I realize that I'm a sinner and nothing I could do is good enough. But Jesus, he was perfect, sinless. His blood atones. Apply that blood to my heart. So if you want to be a part of the church, salvation is the first step. And it says that there in Acts, and many of the people, about 3,000, heard this truth and believed on Christ that day. Salvation provides a tremendous security that can be found in no other relationship. Let's see how we're doing here. There we go. Is that John? Yeah, John 1, 11, and 12. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. So here we see in John 1, 11, and 12 that when we are saved, we are not only forgiven of our sins, but we are also placed into the family of God, which is a great place to be. John 10, 27, uh, and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I gave unto them eternal life, and they, that, and they shall never perish, neither shall my neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now that, that's tremendous assurance for us. Uh, when I have friends, uh, some of them are Assembly of God, I guess if it's okay if I mention other religions, uh, but they talk about losing their salvation. And I always want to go to this verse, John ten twenty eight, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my, out of my hand. And I'm like, how do you lose your salvation? Well, I did something. Well, are you a man? And most of the time they are because I don't talk to women a lot. Um, but I think it's a gender-neutral term here. Uh, in today's society, I don't know how we, you know, what, what your gender is. But I'd say are you, if your sin takes you out of God's hand, is that not a man plucking you from God's hand. And then they get all confused um, because the Bible says any man, neither shall any man, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I cannot take myself out of the hand of God. I can't change my mind. I can't say, oh, God, you know, forget it. I, I'm, I'm, no, once I'm there, I'm there. Now, I can do that. I can say, God, I'm not interested anymore. But there's other scriptures that says, you know, God turned them over to Satan for the destruction of their body, that their soul might be saved, because God's not going to allow you to walk around and be a blasphemous to his name. But if, if you read that verse, it says he turns them over to, the destruct, to Satan for the destruction of their body, that their soul might be saved. You can't take yourself out of the hand of God. You cannot lose your salvation. 
So when it says that when it says and we're also placed in the family of God and it gives us tremendous security, you can rest secured that once you have accepted what Jesus Christ did for you and you have become saved, you're saved. And no man, including yourself, can take you out of the hand of God. So rest safely in that security. Um, So when we do this, we're saved. We're not only forgiven our sins, we're also placed in the family of God. The Lord doesn't want us to render service to him out of fear. If he did, he probably wouldn't have put that in there. Think about that. God's given you assurance. He's given you his word. Uh, And I gave unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's God's word. And when God gives you his word, you can take it to the bank, and you don't have to wait two weeks for it to clear. You can cash that in immediately. Okay? You shall never perish. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm like, cool. I'm not going to perish. I have God's word. I don't have to come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or every time the door is open, as I was told as a child, so that God loves me. So that God won't punish me and send me to hell. That's not it. God says, those that believed on my word and hear my voice, you shall never perish. You have security in that. God does not want us to render service to him out of fear. He wants us to render service to him out of love. He wants our love. You know, in the beginning, he created Adam and Eve. And every afternoon, you know what he did? He come down in the garden. They walked together in the cool of the evening. They talked to each other. They spent time with each other. Nicole, your husband comes in from the field. You have him a nice meal cooked? No? Make him cook his own? Do you talk to him? You talk to him? You spend time with him? Okay. Ryan, you talk to Abby? Well, I know you don't. Why would you want to talk to <laughs> Okay, but why do you do that? You love them. You want to spend time with them. Okay? God loves you. He wanted to spend time with you. He created Adam and Eve to spend time with them. And he loved humanity. And he, you know, Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Not who was lost. What was lost? That communion, that relationship, the image of God. Those are the things that was lost in the garden. You realize we were created in the image of God? How many of us look like God now? Ms. Melly, you're going to get me in trouble. We're not in God's image. That's one of the things that was lost. Jesus wants to restore that. And when we finally get to heaven, we will be restored into our image of God. 
We will have that same relationship reestablished that we had in the Garden of Eden. We'll have all those things restored unto us. Now, that verse is also talking about our souls. Our souls are lost also. We're all lost and going to hell. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. Uh, So, the Lord doesn't want us to render service to him out of fear, but out of love. What a joy it is to grow in our love for him, which begins at the moment of salvation. Okay? So, B, we got A, loving God. A, commences at salvation, or begins at salvation. B, continues with identification. So, if Christians desire to grow in their relationship with Christ... They must identify with Christ and his church, his people. The new believers in Acts 2 received the truth of salvation and were eager to make decisions for Christ public through baptism. Baptism identifies us with Christ as the, okay? It identifies us. It doesn't save us. Don't get them confused. When I got baptized, I became a member of that local congregation Because I identified myself as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. That baptism did nothing other than show everyone out there that I'm joining up with them. Because this shows you I came forward and said, I believe Jesus died on the cross because I'm a sinner and I couldn't die for myself. And that's what it boils down to. When I died, my my blood stained it has sin in it. And if I tried to come to God because God says blood is the way in the Old Testament, they had to kill the sheep as a symbol. The, sheep, the sheep's blood wasn't pure. It was just a symbol that I understand that I need a substitute. And I, so I came forward and said, I understand Jesus was my substitute. He took my place. He died and paid the debt I could not pay. And I want to now become a member of this local congregation, and I want to serve God here. And I do that by identifying myself as a believer by being baptized. Baptism had nothing to do with my salvation. In fact, I was saved like three years before I got baptized. And some people it is like that. Some people it's not. Some people get baptized right away. It's okay. It's a growing process. It's a maturation process in your Christian walk. So if Christians desire to grow in their relationship with Christ, they must identify with Christ and be added to his church. New believers in Acts 2 received the truth of salvation, were eager to make the decision for Christ public through baptism. Baptism identifies us with Christ as the biblical pattern of baptism by immersion represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. I can't take a person and grab a cup and say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost by pouring water over him. No more than I can take a dead person, coffin there, and pour a glass of dirt on him and say, okay, we buried this. It don't work. You got to put him under the ground, chunk the dirt on top. Well, if you're going to have a symbolism of the death and the burial, you got to take him under. And then when you bring them back up out of the water, you might have to dunk them again, depending on who they are, get them really clean. That shows the resurrection. Jesus died. He was buried. He was resurrected. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. 
Jesus comes in and gives us a new life, saves us. We're now resurrected in a new body, a new life. So baptism is just representation. That's all it is. Um, see if I can get this going. There we go. Romans 6, 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So in Romans 6, 4, we should walk in a newness of life. Baptism is an outward picture of what Christ has already done for us. It is a public declaration that we have now chosen to live for Christ. Those who choose to identify with Christ through baptism and church membership enhance and encourage their growth in the Lord. All born-again believers need to be involved in a local New Testament church where the word of God is preached and where there is opportunity to grow in their love for God. And I'm glad we live in a church where we come to a church where that's so. Okay, we worship the Lord personally. Any of you worship the Lord personally? Okay, because you are the church and it's what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, y'all told me y'all was the church. We also worship corporately with our church family. But the best corporate worship springs out of real individual worship. You might ask, Kurt... If the first purpose of the church is to love God, and that is cultivated through worship, what is real worship? I'm glad you asked. Uh, in Romans, I'm going to come over here just to make sure. Anybody have trouble hearing me? Okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a few things in there that's key. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a lot of people talk about, oh, my heart. The heart is deceitful, okay, and wicked. You need to transform your mind. You need to start focusing on worship. Focus on God. What is God doing for me? What am I doing for God? You ever thought about that? We're going to talk about that a little bit later, too. Okay? These verses contain all the elements of true worship. First, there is a motivation to worship, the mercies of God. Okay? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Somebody want to tell me? Salvation, redemption. What was back here? Not giving us what we do deserve. Okay? If I got what I deserved, I'd be dead before I walked out the building. Just plain honest with you. Because I sure don't deserve much. But God's like, nope. I'm going to give that guy a life. I'm going to give him a beautiful wife. I'm going to give him three children. I'm going to give him ten grandkids. Give him a job. 
give his wife a job. I'm going to supply their every need, give them everything they need in life. They're not going to need anything. I mean, think about that. I don't deserve none of that. But God says, here, this is what I have in store for you. This is part, this is part of what I have planned for you. And so you think about all the things that's God given, that God has given you, and I want you to understand that little bit I said about this is just part of what God has planned for you. We don't even know everything God has planned for us. We couldn't comprehend everything God has planned for us. And I'm talking about here on earth. I'm not talking about when we get to heaven. If we would truly get in the word of God and commit our lives to God 24-7 and follow his will the way he has it planned out for us, his mercies would be so overwhelming. As it is, we fall short, and he still gives us mercies. He still gives us things we don't deserve. Uh, he gives us eternal love. He gives us eternal grace. How about this one? He gives us the Holy Spirit. Amen. Realize you've got the Holy Spirit with you 24-7. You're never alone. He says he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I have brothers I have a brother, but I have brothers from other mothers, okay, that we're close. We're as close as brothers can be. But do you see them standing right beside me, joined at my hip? The Holy Spirit's inside. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And since he's God and his love for you is perfect, then he's always going to be leading you in the right way. Some of my other brothers, every now and then, we get off alone, a little wild tear, you know. Maybe we do something we shouldn't have done because we're not perfect yet. But the Holy Spirit's there saying, hey, come on back. That's not right. You know that ain't right. Come on. You know better. Nudging us back in line. Holy Spirit says he sticks closer than a brother. Think about that. Of God's mercies, that's one of the most wonderful. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us everlasting peace if we stay in the Holy Spirit. When we don't do those things that we know we shouldn't do, we're at peace. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing that you need to be concerned about. You can be in everlasting peace. You know, used to, I would worry about, you know, oh, am I going to grow old? Am I going to die early? You know, because I was a little bit of a wild child. But God was merciful unto me, and he gave me uh, 58 years. But now I don't worry about it. Somebody says, well, what about, you know, the shape of the world? You know, we got a food crisis coming. Okay. God's going to take care of me. One way or another, God's going to take care of me. Either I'm going to have the ability to raise my own crops, feed my family, or God's going to provide the food and nourishment that my family needs, or God's going to take us home. And out of the three, I don't much care which one it is because going to heaven seems like a much better plan than staying here and fighting the government. Okay? I don't... 
So, no, there are, don't get me wrong, there are things sometimes I worry about things. I worry about my grandkids, okay? Because I don't know that they've got, that all of them have that everlasting peace yet. And that concerns me. But, you know, if I leave that up to God and leave that in God's hand, I don't have to worry about it. But I do because I'm human and I love them. But it's also the reason why I try to make sure they're in church every Sunday. I try to teach them along with their parents. And I'm glad I got parents of my grandchildren that want to teach their children and want their children to learn. So that, you know, I don't have to worry as much. Uh, he gives us eternal joy. He gives us saving faith. He gives us comfort. He gives us strength, wisdom, hope, patience, kindness, honor, glory, righteousness, security, eternal life, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, freedom, intercession, so much more. Those are just some of the mercies that God gives us. The knowledge and understanding of these incredible gifts should motivate us to pour forth praise and thanksgiving. In other words, we should worship. Worship God. Also in the passage is a description of the manner of our worship. It says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. How do we do this? We start by the renewing of our mind. We focus on what God has in store for us. We focus on God. You know, my wife's like, I come home or whatever, and I start talking to her and everything, and she's like, well, why are you talking to me or whatever? And I'm like, well, you know, I missed you. I thought about you while I was gone. If I love God, I'm going to be thinking about him. You know, I think about lunch. I really think about supper. You know, lunch, you fix me a big old hoagie. Mm, Yes, sir. Go to Subway. I love lunch. I love subs. So, yeah, for lunch, that's great. But supper, mm, big old steak, baked potato, sour cream, butter, chives, maybe a little uh, chili thrown on top of that baked potato. And if you want to start it off by eating grass, that's good. I, I don't mind a good salad as long as it's got eggs and croutons and bacon and Thousand Island drenched in Thousand Island dressing. You bet. Um, you know, I, I have no problem with this beef they say is made out of plants. I want all my beef made out of plants. I just want the cow to do the converting. I don't want man to do it. Okay? Eat real meat. Okay? But I, lo- I think about that. Why do I think about it? I love it. Okay? I love it. Steak is good. Supper is good. I think about it. Okay, now let's, st- let, let's, let's just do a little comparison here. Steak, Jesus. Steak satisfies for a little while. I'm going to need it again and again and again and again. Jesus, he satisfies forever. You need him once. You get him, you got him. Salvation is forever. All these things I've listed, you know, that steak's going to fill my belly, and it's actually going to make me feel bad for a little while because I'm going to be so full I don't feel like doing anything. But the Holy Spirit fills me, and I feel great. I feel at peace. I feel joy. I feel contentment. 
You can't compare the two. Which one, which one do we think about the most? And you're the church. What's your purpose? To love God. We need a renewing of our mind. We need to think about God and what he's done for us and all the things that he provides for us. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice by the renewing of your mind. We need to renew our minds daily by cleansing them of the world's wisdom and, placing it, and replacing it with the true wisdom that comes from God. You know, yesterday, Kim and I came back from Omaha. Uh, it's a long story. It's why we were in Omaha. We were listening to the radio because I like to listen to the radio. I don't know if y'all know it, but I kind of like to make noise every now and then. And so Omaha actually has a pretty decent oldie station, 70s, early 80s. You know, and we're singing along. And she goes, you know, we really should be listening to gospel music. And I said, well, there's not a good radio station. Because, you know, you got to have your excuses, right? It's not a good gospel radio station in the Sioux City area. She goes, I got CDs. I'm like, well, where are they? I don't know. They're somewhere. I said, if you want to listen to them, you shouldn't bury them. It shouldn't be so hard to find in the van that it's easier to turn the radio dial on classic rock as opposed to throwing in Gold City or Gaither Vocal Band or the Cathedrals or somebody like that. And she's right. That's what we should be. We should be renewing our mind with things of Christ, not things of the world. So we need to replace the world's wisdom with the true wisdom of God. True worship is God-centered worship. People tend to get caught up in where they, where they should worship, what music they should sing in worship, and how their worship looks to other people. Focusing on these things misses the point. Jesus tells us that true worshipers will worship God in the spirit and in truth. John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This means we worship from the heart and the way God has designed. Worship can include things like praying, reading God's word with an open heart, singing, participating in communion or Lord's Supper, serving and serving others. It's not limited to one act, but it's done properly when the heart and attitude of the person are in the right place. So first we see that your purpose is loving God, you specifically, since you are the church, that's what y'all told me, your purpose, number one, is to love God. And that love is started when you get saved. So if you are the church, you first must be saved. If you're not, then you can't be part of our church. You can join up. You can tell the story. Come up here and tell us all about it. But if you didn't really save, get saved, you're not really a part of the church. You're a faker. Being part of the church begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then after you are saved, your purpose is to be identified with other believers, other members of the church. So if you're saved and not baptized, what are you waiting for? Talk with pastor, get identified so you can begin to fulfill your purpose. And lastly, the first part of your purpose is to worship the Lord. We meet to worship on Sunday mornings with choir practice at 9 o'clock. 
Oh, well. There's an opportunity to worship, 9 o'clock. Sunday school, 9.45. Morning services, 11 o'clock. Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock. There are, many, there are many parts of this, and I'm going to speak on part of it more later. But I want to move on to our second purpose. Our second purpose is to grow together. We see in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. We see in, in Acts 2.42 that God did not design the Christian life to be an, an event, but a process. Okay, it, It's something that happens, but it's something that continues to happen. And you need to have it continuously happening in your life, this whole process. And when he plants a desire in our hearts to continue to grow in him, and you can see that it says they continued steadfastly. Christian growth isn't always easy, but it is vital. And cultivating an atmosphere for spiritual growth is one of the purposes of the local church. However, it takes a seed of dedication in the heart of every Christian to press forward in growth. The local church, that's you, y'all told me, is designed to aid in the growth in two ways. Uh, a, through doctrinal, doctrinal teaching, true doctrine cannot be separated from real growth. So now I'm going to get a little divisive. Ecumenical groups call for the downplaying of doctrine because they believe that doctrine brings division. I used to teach in Kansas. When I taught in Kansas, I was a member of the FCA in the local school and where I taught, along with another coach. And he was the leader and I was a helper. And one time I asked him, we had a lot of Catholics and we had a lot of Lutherans and we had some Baptists, Evangelicals, whatever. And I used to ask him, I said, why don't you talk about the blood-bought, born-again is how you get saved? And he said, the FCA does not want us teaching doctrine because it divides. I'm like, okay, well, it's been fun working with you. Because if I can't tell a Catholic person that this is the way you're supposed to be saved, that it's not about going to the priest, and it's not about this, and it's not about your works, and it's not about, then why am I here? Now, you know, I know there are FCA chapters that they do what they want to do. They teach doctrine, and that's good. But he wasn't he didn't want to step on the toes of the national FCA because that office was only about 30 miles from where we were. And so he just thought it would be better to just, you know, talk about being a good Christian without telling them what a good Christian was. But we get that. And then, so it says that doctrine brings division. Guess what? It does. Doctrine divides because it divides the truth from the untruth. It divides the spiritual from the non-spiritual. Okay? I, I hear people all the time, well, God would never cause division. Uh, excuse me, he is the divider. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a division. 
You can't go this way. You can't go that way. You can't go some other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's Jesus' word, not mine. He divides. He tells Timothy, I think I'll get there, rightly dividing the truth. The Bible is a book of doctrine, and we need to learn it to grow in the word, in our knowledge, and understanding, as it says in 2 Timothy. I think that's where I was going. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are supposed to divide. Now, if you are born again, true body of believers, it should be in division and strife because all of you should have already rightly divided the truth. And you should all be on the same side of the divide. The divisions already happened. We shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves. Okay, we shouldn't be going off with sister holier than thou, looking down on me because my hair is halfway down my back, which is why it's there. Just be honest. It's not a rebellious spirit. It's a truthful spirit. Because I grew up with sister holier than thou and brother better than you. And they all had their things they had to say. With rumor Rudy. You know, they want to sit around and they want to talk. And I have friends. Some of them maybe just got saved. Some of them maybe not saved. They came to church. Would you look at that? His hair's halfway down his back. What is he doing in church? What are any of you doing in church? But guess what? They heard that. They didn't come back. And I'm so glad we're not like that in this church. But I have been in churches where it is like that. And I do it on purpose. Not out of a rebellious spirit. But just so when they come up and ask me, I can tell them. Jesus saved everybody. He didn't care what your hair looked like. He didn't care what clothes you wore. He didn't care how much money you made. Because he actually talked about the widow who gave her might, giving more than all the rich people who gave their tithes. Because she gave from the heart and she gave from what she had. That's what God's concerned about. God don't care. He don't care if I have a goatee. He don't care if I have a beard. And I actually had a guy come up to me one day. I had a beard, hair, not quite as long as it is now. I just don't know how you want to. And I'm singing in the choir. And he comes up. I just don't know how they let you sing in the choir looking like that. I'm like, well, if the truth be known, they probably shouldn't let me be singing in the choir. Did you hear me? But... It's about serving God. It's not about what I look like. You know, why do you want to judge someone about what they look like? Judge them by what they do. Because God says judge not lest you also be judged. It doesn't say we can't judge. We, we do need to judge. If you're doing something wrong, the Bible says you, you have a fault with a brother, go to that brother. If you can't work it out, then take it to the pastor. But first... Go to that brother. You have trouble with me about my hair? Come talk to me about it. I'll tell you. First thing I'll tell you, it ain't none of your business. But that's beside the point. God don't care. 
I'm, I talk to people all the time about God. And they don't say, well, you can't talk to me. Your hair's too long. Because most of the people I talk to, they got other things going on that's just like my long hair. And they realize, oh, maybe God doesn't care about this or that. God cares about me as a person. Doctrinal teaching, sound doctrine, not judgmental doctrine. And I'm so glad, like I said, that we don't have a church like that because I grew up in a church like that. And like I said, by the time I graduated from high school, our youth group, which from five years age span, from my brother to me, probably started out when my brother was like 12. There was probably 20 kids. And when I graduated from high school, there was three of us. Where are all the kids at? Well, a couple of them are dead already. Some of them were off dealing drugs, got caught up in that, that scene. Why? They were in the same church I was in. They grew up the same church. Their parents went to church just like my parents went to church. Why? Church didn't teach them what they needed to know. They didn't teach them that Jesus is what they need. Because they had too many people that was trying to say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. You need to do something else. When in truth, all they should have been telling them is you need to get saved. You need Jesus Christ to come in your heart. Because you know what? If you teach them that and that happens, those other things are either going to change or they're not going to matter. They're not going to do the drugs if they got Jesus. They don't need to find something to fill that void because Jesus is the one that filled the void for them. And that's the kind of church I grew up in. It, we had sound doctrine. We had preaching about, you know, our preacher would preach. Thus saith the Lord. You got to be saved. You got to be baptized after you're saved to become a member of the church. You're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. He preached that. But you know what? A lot of members members of our church, they go home, and that was the only time their kid ever heard it. It's the only time their kid ever saw it. And those of you that got little kids, let me tell you something. From experience, they need to see it. They need to hear it Amen. other times during the week. Yes, sir. If you leave it up to preach on Sunday morning, you're going to be out of luck. You need the church to teach. But you need to teach the church. The church will be those little kids that get saved. Uh, how am I doing on time? Ooh, five minutes, and I ain't nowhere near close. I only got through one. I wonder if Pastor will mind if I do the rest of it next week. You think, Ms. Melanie? Ryan's giving me a thumbs up. Okay. Um, so, like I said, God's word is your worship can include praying, reading God's word with an open heart, singing, participating in communion. And serving others, it's not limited to one act, but it's done properly when the heart and attitude of the person are in the right place. So, um, any questions y'all like before I go on? So, I do want to go to... 
If you're buying. I say God provides what we need, not what we want. It might be bologna sandwiches. Uh, Colossians 2.7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So I want to stop there with that verse as far as we talk about uh, growing together uh, through doctrinal training, uh, doctrinal teaching. And if pastor allows, I will finish this next week. Um, but like I said, if you have questions or comments, anybody, I would be glad to try to answer or explain or anything like that. All right. If not, Nathan, would you uh, dismiss us with a prayer, please? Not to put you.